Hi, I'm Ben Capolo, and welcome to All Keyed Up. Thanks so much for listening. Today, I spoke with Samantha Coates about teaching by rote. We discussed the definition of rote teaching, the common criticisms it receives, its relationship to teaching by ear, the overlap between learning music and language acquisition, what makes a great rote piece, how Samantha Coates' Blitzbook series integrates rote teaching with reading teaching, and strategies for teaching rote pieces effectively. Samantha Coates is a Sydney-based pianist and teacher with over 35 years of experience in piano teaching. She is also the author and publisher of Blitz Books, the music education series that has captured the imagination of students around the world and transformed the teaching of rote repertoire, music theory, and sight reading. Samantha holds a bachelor degree and several performance diplomas, but piano pedagogy has become her lifelong passion. She is dedicated to making piano teaching accessible and relatable and is always striving to create resources that support a holistic, music education. In particular, the last few years have seen Samantha become extremely focused on using rote teaching to fast-track sight reading and creativity, and her rote repertoire series has received wide acclaim. Samantha's popular and entertaining presentation style has made her a sought-after lecturer on a wide range of pedagogical topics, both nationally and internationally. Her hobbies are long walks, watching Disney movies, and eating dark chocolate. Before we get started, I want to let you know about the Octave Piano Sheet Music Library. As I've mentioned in many episodes of the podcast, finding appropriate repertoire for students is one of the most important elements of teaching. Not just method books, but also supplemental songs that may cater more to the students' musical preferences. If students are not playing repertoire that excites them and that is at an appropriate skill level, it almost doesn't matter how good the teacher is. Therefore, it's important that teachers be aware of and have access to as broad of a range of music as possible so we can customize the lessons to fit our students' abilities and interests. One great resource for sheet music is Octave, spelled O-K-T-A-V. Octave is a personalized sheet music web experience which gives you access to over 20,000 piano arrangements in all genres and skill levels. You tell Octave what sort of music you're looking for and at what level, and they give you a range of suggestions as well as corresponding playlists. All sheet music is officially licensed through labels, publishers, and composers. If you enter the code KEEDUP30, you get 30% off a yearly subscription. To find out more, visit www.octave.com, again spelled O-K-T-A-V.com, and the code is, in all caps, KEEDUP30, one word. This episode is proudly supported by Top Music Pro. If you haven't heard of them, they're an amazing organization led by Tim Topham, who hosts his own podcast and has appeared on All Keyed Up. More about Top Music Pro a little later on. For now, let's get on to the interview. Samantha Coates, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. It is such a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Ben. Today, we're going to talk about teaching by rote. For those of our listeners who are new to rote teaching, can we start out by having you just define what it means to teach a piece by rote? Yes. Okay. Well, for me, teaching by rote means that you are demonstrating the piece to the student. You're showing them how to play it. So you're not only asking them to listen, but you're asking them to look and also asking them to feel. So you're introducing it by sound and sight and touch. So I know in a lot of my rote teaching, I might place the student's hands on the piano uh, in the right position and say, okay, you're going to be in this D major hand position the whole time. And then, uh, but I'm, and I'll play a piece for them and ask them to copy. So it's, it's a method of teaching that is through imitation, demonstration and imitation without any reference to a score. That would be my definition of rote teaching. 
Perfect definition. So now that we have that definition on the table, I'm going to assume that among our listeners, there's a variety of attitudes. There's probably some listeners who already teach by road already and want to further hone their craft. Then there's some who maybe heard that and said, hmm. But then I imagine there might be also some listeners who would feel out of their comfort zone with a teaching zone like that. And so I want to throw out um, one possible objection to this type of teaching that some listeners might have and get your take on it. Um, I did a little bit of research prior to this interview on criticisms of rote teaching. And the one that I think came up the most, which I'd love your opinion on, is the idea that it's not just imitation, but like that it can turn into mindless imitation, like a parrot repeating back phrases without any understanding of the meaning. Or if you think of like rote learning in English class growing up, where you memorize poems and just regurgitate them and have no clue what words you're saying. And I read dictionary.com defines learning by rote as, quote, from memory without thought of the meaning in a mechanical way. So that might lead some teachers to argue for a curriculum that's more exclusively centered around reading, because in reading, it enables the students to figure out the pieces, I guess, themselves without the need of a model. So can you discuss the distinction between rote learning and mindless repetition and highlight some advantages from rote learning that might not be present in a curriculum that is focused exclusively on reading? Yes. Okay. So there's lots to unpack there. All right. So first of all, I would put myself in the category of listener. Let's say if I was listening to this five, six years ago, um, I would be in the snobby category of what? Root teaching? Oh, no, yes. no. And I understand the teacher you took lessons with growing up was a Russian teacher who was like that, right? Yes. I don't think... I was brought up to believe that rote was bad and, uh, and and brought up pianistically, that is. I never played a single note that I did not read off a page. No one me neither. Me. Yeah, you neither? Okay. So, uh, I mean, it was, it was um, it's made me a pretty good reader, I have to say. But uh, unfortunately, I also never played anything like by ear. I never improvised. I was never given those, those skills. That's mm-hmm. all I things that I've developed since then. But um, Rote definitely has a bad reputation because of that dictionary definition. Uh, When I think of Rote learning, I think of times tables, you know, two, two is a four, two, three, six. So, um, and you do have to learn those by Rote. You you say them over and over again, and that is how you learn to do them, like learning a tongue twister, Peter Piper picked a bag of peppers. That is just, um, that's Rote learning. Um, but in the context of music teaching, I can see how it, that would be seen as bad. And uh, we don't want any sort of mindless learning. But I think that rote teaching in the, in the piano teaching world, in the music world, it's not, it's not mindless. It's more a reference to the fact that we are teaching without the reading, without the reference to the score. And if you, pure, if you teach like that exclusively, yeah, that is bad because then you are not, you, your, your students are going to be illiterate. And we don't want that. We don't want rote teaching to the exclusion of score reading. Uh, but it can be really useful. And it wasn't until like 2017, it's like five years ago now, that I realized um, rote could be useful. I had never used it in my teaching because I was never taught oh. that. Yeah. So what made you decide to start trying it? So I went to a session uh, at M- my first MTNA, which is in Baltimore in 2017. And 
Catherine Fisher and Julie Nur, yeah, who've also been on the podcast. <laughs> yes, Piano Safari. They were doing a session, and their session was entitled "Rote is not a four-letter word." And I was intrigued, ah. and it was a great session. And I sat there, and I had this epiphany while I was listening to them. I mean, they were they were touting all the benefits of rote learning and how students hear better and they can play more interesting things, and it actually. Uh, helps to develop their technique and their ear and it doesn't hinder this at all and you can develop sight reading alongside this and I thought oh my gosh it was like BAM yes I'm going to try this with my students I have students who struggle with reading and if I just show them how to play some passages they'll just be delighted and I did that and then I realized that yeah it doesn't it doesn't stop all these other skills. It just makes life more enjoyable for students. But in terms of teaching a piece entirely by rote, I couldn't bring myself to do it because it felt like right. cheating. And so I thought, well, what if we had in like in their method, they have some pieces that are purely for rote and some pieces that are purely for reading. And I just thought, okay, well, how about if we bring that together? But um, to answer your original question, which is, mm -hmm. you know, what is bad? What is what is it that's bad about rote teaching? It is that if you never refer to a score, then you are doing your students a disservice. We don't, we, they can't access music themselves from a notation perspective if they're shown how to play everything. Uh, and we want to give them holistic skills, not just show them right. how to play, but teach them how to also read it from a page. Right. I mean, this is an obvious point, and I'm not remotely the first person who's made this, but if we think of how we learn language, we learn that without writing first, by rote, by imitating phrases that we've heard. I mean, when a kid says daddy or something, it's because they've heard it, and now they're repeating it, and then much, much later do they learn about how it's written. So there's no reason why we can't musically learn the same way. That is exactly right. And in fact, I take that analogy even further with language and say that when a, when a child goes to kindergarten, let's say the first day of school, and they go in to show their teacher their little crocheted little dinosaur that they've got, and, and they say to the teacher, look, miss, this is my Tyrannosaurus. Um, well, the Good impression of a kindergartner. <laughs> teacher says oh wow now the teacher doesn't berate the child for saying the word tyrannosaurus just because they cannot yet write or spell tyrannosaurus we let them speak we don't limit a child's speaking and language to what they can read it comes later so why should we limit a child's why should we limit what they can play on piano to what they can read it, we're going to give them a really boring and slowly developing existence if we only let them play what they can read we want them, let's get them playing stuff that's really exciting that would look so complicated on the page. Yeah, exactly. Um, so earlier in your answers, when you were talking about the benefit of rote teaching, you brought up it benefiting learning technique, and you also brought up that it is helpful to building ear training skills. And so this gets me into talking about ear training and learning pieces by ear, because this sometimes is easy to confuse with rote teaching, although there's some overlap in the sense that both of them adopt the philosophy of sound before symbol. But although learning by rote includes learning by ear, as you mentioned, it adds that additional element of learning by sight, and you brought up in your earlier answer by feel. So students are watching the instructor's fingers and arms moves and using that visual model as a tool alongside remembering the sound of the model that was created. So can you talk about the pedagogical benefit of this additional element of learning by sight and why in some cases learning by rote may be more beneficial than learning purely by ear? 
Yeah, I think that learning a piece by rote that it, the re, there needs to be a reason why you would teach something by rote. So if if there's very if it's if it's very simple to look at and the very simple patterns on the page, well then why wouldn't you just also refer to the score? There's there's no re, real reason to only teach by rote. But if it's a piece that looks complicated on the page and you just want to show a student how to play it because you need to really get them to look at their hands while they play because they might be leaping all over the place in black notes or something like that. Look at the yeah. keyboard. It's because you're teaching more about keyboard geography and wanting them to listen. Ah. They're going to be more musical in their response. They're going to imitate not only the notes you play, but how you play them. They're going to imitate the dynamics. They're going to imitate the articulation. You can incorporate imagery. You're going to get them to really listen. Now to teach a piece purely by ear, that is a very advanced skill and it's wonderful it's it's too it's it's too often written off in my opinion um a lot of teachers say oh no if i if i send them the recording then they'll just learn it by ear well how fabulous would that be yes <laughs> let students learn something by ear well why would we want to quash this amazing skill so let's let them listen sure but it's pretty hard to play something i think on the piano that you've only listened to especially for little kids they might be hunting and pecking around the piano to try and find the right notes that you played so show them show them in relation to keyboard geography look I'm, i've got these three black notes and these two black notes and they can see it and but then when they play it they're really going to make it sound like like you made it sound and they are playing staccato and they're playing legato and playing forte and piano before they ever see these directions on a page, but they're mm -hmm. actually paying attention to it. Once we get them reading notation, oh, they ignore the articulation. They ignore the dynamics. They're too busy decoding the position of the note. So I think it's more musical to teach. Um, you get more musicality, I think, out of students, especially in their beginning stages, yeah. when you teach pieces by rote. And I would also like to say that when we teach technique, we all, te we all teach technique by rote. We teach scales by rote. I've never, ever taught a scale by asking a student to read it on a page. <laughs> okay. It's all never. I mean, I might show them the flash card of a key signature, but I would show them how to play that scale. I'm showing them the shape that their hand needs to be. We're concentrating on, we, we all teach technique by rote. Look, <laughs> look at my hand. Look where my wrist is. Look where your hand, look where your, your elbow has to move. That has <laughs> to be done by rote. You can't do that by notation. Right. And if it's a situation like where we're learning a scale, we would recognize that learning that by ear would, to an extent, miss the point because you need to see a model of the correct technique needed to do the scales. And so I think same thing with a rote piece. If there's any element of the rote piece that uses technique, even if it's not like a scale, which is a purely technical exercise, if it's a piece that has a technical element to it, it helps to be able to watch the instructor model correct technique and that you couldn't get by ear. Um, so I think, you know, everything can coexist together. There's times, as you said, for learning by ear, if it's maybe a more advanced student, there's times, of course, for learning by reading, and then there's times for learning by rote, you know, no need to pick one or the other. So you were bringing up earlier that 
oftentimes what students can play is much more advanced than what they can read. And you compared that to language where what you can speak like Tyrannosaurus Rex is much more complicated than what you might be able to read. And you also brought up that not every piece makes a good rope piece because if it's something that's simple, you were saying then might as well just read it. So I would like to talk about what you think are some musical characteristics of great rope pieces because there's a, you know not a ton of rope pieces out there, but enough that instru- that teachers teachers are forced to make a choice between all of the different pieces out there. So what do you think makes a great rope piece? I think what makes a great rope piece is a piece that is based on patterns, repeating patterns, Mm -hmm. Um, a small little cell of repeating ideas or motifs, something that, or something that's easy to latch onto orally. And sometimes we have to be careful because we are such Uh, seasoned musicians when we're teachers we've heard so much music that what makes sense to us orally um, and in a harmonic sense let's say in a theoretical sense uh, wouldn't necessarily make sense to a student so um, you know I don't know if I can if I can if it's okay to play a little bit but something like if you had you know these little pieces like That sort of piece, it sounds simple to us and you might think that that is an appropriate piece to teach by rote, but that's not because it's too hard to remember what's going on and also it just happened to be in C major. It's a sea of white notes. But uh, even if it wasn't in C major, it makes sense to us harmonically. We can hear where it's going, but there's not... it actually is pretty, it's pretty random. It's not an appropriate piece to teach by rote. So it doesn't, it's not whether it whether or not it's simple to play it's whether or not it's simple to understand and describe so um if if it went repeating if it had the right hand constantly doing those four notes and then the left hand constantly doing well maybe then explain that to a student and they could eventually do it but that's still that didn't come out sounding very interesting what's much easier to teach by road is when one hand is uh, either mirroring the other hand or uh, staying stationary and you can concentrate on what one hand is doing while the other hand just holds some notes or it's a repeating pattern that's visually easy to follow Uh, these are good pieces to teach by road so and and of course you want things that sound exciting and sound interesting and there are so many people who have written wonderful pieces that can be taught by rote there's a plethora of rote repertoire uh, out there um but my goal was to rather than say okay that piece gets taught by rote and we are never going to look at that score i thought well why can't we look at a score like that's the beginning of all reading skills when when we read stories to children when they can't read it they often will sit and watch you reading the book and you're pointing to the words and there are some words on the page that they can recognize Mm -hmm. they enjoy looking at the words and they can pick out some and it's great to get them to look at the book that's how they form an interest in reading Mm -hmm. so my idea was well let's not just throw score reading out and say that we're only going to do this piece by rote we can also look at the score so that is why i started writing some pieces that sound nice could could be played um 
can be taught a little bit by rote, but then you start referring to the score and then they get a piece where they've understood some of the elements on the page, certainly not all, because the idea that is the piece is too interesting to try and understand everything theoretically, <laughs> but to bring the concepts of rote and reading together. Hi listeners, it's Tim from Top Music. I'm proud to be a supporter of Ben's show and wanted to take a moment to let you know about an amazing community of piano teachers ready to welcome you over at Top Music Pro. Top Music Pro is the global hub for piano teachers looking to connect, learn, grow, and be challenged in both their teaching and studio businesses. Community members save time by accessing hundreds of step-by-step lesson plans, creative teaching frameworks, business guides, online courses, and workshops. We offer training in topics as diverse as piano technique, lead sheets, website building, intermediate repertoire, group teaching, and special needs. We also save you money through our extensive discount collection, including those with music notes, Sheet Music Plus, Music Room, Office Depot, Tone Base, and many more. And if you like sheet music, all our members get a free book of studio-licensed, beautifully engraved sheet music each and every month. Come and check out the Top Music Pro community free for 14 days on our full-access studio plan by heading to topmusicpro.com and using the coupon code BENPODCAST. That's all one word. Don't tell anyone, but there's also a surprise discount waiting for you when you click join now. I can't wait to welcome you inside. Yeah, and I think there's many advantages to doing it that way. You were bringing up patterns earlier. I mean, in my own teaching, I often notice I'll give students pieces that are to be read that have patterns, and the students often don't pick up on it because they're so hung up on reading the notes that they tend to read like one note at a time or two notes at a time if they're reading by interval, but they would never notice like a four-note pattern or something because there's a temptation with reading to get bogged down in a note-by-note system. But if they're learning by rote, it's much more apparent when you have a pattern that's repeating. And so I could imagine a situation where they hear the pattern and experience the pattern by rote, and then they can recognize the pattern on the page in a way that they couldn't if they were introduced to the page first without any kind of oral or rote experience beforehand. That's right. And not only that, when you teach them how to play a piece first and then show them the score and say, this is what you just played, they are so proud of themselves. Yeah, I could play that. Look at all those you know, accidentals. And yes. I think, wow. Oh, look I at have... all those flat. Yeah, that's right. Look at all those accidentals. Look at the range. Look at the ledger lines. Look at the syncopation. Obviously, they're not going to say those words, but it looks so impressive on the page, so much better mm-hmm. than, you know, what you get in the method books of just... I know, yeah. That's not fun. That's not fun to play. It's not relatable. And uh, it's much better to get them playing something interesting. And then they look at the score. Yeah, Nicola Canton, um, who I know you know, just uh, released a podcast episode that was about the benefits of teaching by road. And she made a similar point about like, when you're a beginning reader, like you try, even if you're the best composer ever, writing a really thrilling piece that's going to get students eager to practice that goes from bass clef F to treble clef G. I mean, it's (laughs) pretty difficult, but students can play all over the piano, use black notes, as you said. I mean, there's a vast amount of things that they can do in the same way that as you were bringing up earlier, language wise, students can speak with much more variety than what they can read when they're at a young age. You did bring up your approach where you integrate rote and uh, reading at the same time. So I do want to hone in a little bit on your particular methodology, because as far as I'm aware, and maybe 
there's some other resource out there that I don't know. I haven't actually seen anyone else do what you do, where you have a piece that gets introduced by rote, but then you show them the sheet music, and then the sheet music gets altered, and there's this whole sequence that I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that you do, which is different than some other methods I've seen where either there's pieces that are designated as rote pieces and then pieces that are designated as reading pieces and they're written completely differently. Or there's books that are just nothing but rote pieces and the assumption is that these are supplementary books and you would find another book for reading. So can you talk about what inspired you to integrate rote and reading a little bit more and just talk more uh, specifically about your methodology in the Blitz series? Yes, thank you. It's my favorite subject. So thank you for asking me to talk about this. Um, so what inspired me was, as I said before, the, the, the session on rote teaching that I went to with Julie and Catherine, um, the thought that we could combine the concepts of rote and reading. So I sat down to write some pieces. I think it might help if I explain like how I go about writing each sure. one. Um, I sat down to, oh, first of all, I, I've never composed much in my life. I'm not a composer. I don't mean to interrupt you, but it's been amazing to me having done this podcast and speaking to a ton of different composers. Almost all of them have said that, that growing up, they never thought they were going to be composers. I don't think I've yet to meet one composer for piano pieces for children who grew up knowing that they wanted to be a composer. But anyway, you were saying... Okay, there is one person, and that's Elisa Milne, who I'm going to be interviewing. Oh, I, I, yeah, we've been talking about me having her appear on the podcast, and for one day, hopefully. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. you were saying... Yes. Okay. So I sat down to try and write some pieces that um, had, they had to meet the brief of being repetitive enough based on patterns so that they would be easy to teach by rote. They had to be ergonomic. So I wanted to write pieces that were comfortable, that suited the hand. Like um, your post on Facebook today about E. Lydian getting students to improvise in E. Lydian. That is such a comfortable position where we've got long fingers on black notes, short fingers on white notes. And that's, that's what is comfortable to play uh, rather than because both fingers, both thumbs on middle C and C major is actually a very uncomfortable position mm -hmm. to play in. It's not great for technique. So I wanted pieces that felt comfortable, that were aligned, that was like away from middle C and explored a large range of the keyboard. So I'd write a, a little piece, a short piece that would sound like a cute little recital piece for somebody in their second year of playing, let's say. Uh, and then... I broke it down. I, I thought, okay, well, that's like level three. That's like the goal piece. And then I saw, I notated it and it would look, of course, complicated on the page. You would never give this to a beginner student because, oh, we haven't learned about this key signature yet or, oh, we haven't learned about that syncopation yet. doesn't matter. They can play it. But then I paired it back. So after it was the fully notated goal piece was notated, I paired it back and like wrote a variation that looked much simpler on the page that was um, like took out like a lot of the uh, detail of the piece, let's say, and but kept the hand position. And then that would be level two. And then I paired it back even more until it was just like a very, very basic variation of that piece, but still set up a good hand position and still set up the basic rhythmic and uh, technical movements that they would need. And that was level one. And it had to still sound like a decent piece. And then when I was piloting this with my own students, I um, like I would teach them level one by rote. And they, so the hand position would be all set up. The dynamic level articulation that they basically had to use was all there. 
And then I would show them that score and say, this is what you just played, which was still a reasonably a reasonably complex thing to look at because it would have been in a key they didn't understand. But they were still impressed that they played it. And then I asked them to compare the level one and level two scores and ask them to spot the difference. Now, it doesn't matter how young, a preschooler can spot the difference between two pictures. And that's kind of what it is if they're not, if they haven't learned to read music properly yet, then they are looking at two different pictures. And they can easily see the difference between these two scores. It might be that the left hand changes from semi-briefs to crotchets, repeated crotchets. They won't be able to say, they won't use the language, oh, there's crotchets there now, or coordinates, right. as you call them. But they will say, oh, there's more notes. Oh, they're black now. Oh, they're not colored in now. Something like that. They mm -hmm. will be able to see. And then we can say, okay, so what do you think that will sound like? And then separately to that, of course, we're using sight reading materials. They, we do clap rhythms. We are teaching them about notation. I was, they, they do understand some notation, but we can talk about, well, that, that looks different. How is that going to sound? And then we go through all the bits that are different. And now they're playing the level two piece, but they are engaging with the score. So whether, whereas level one, they just were playing by rote, by what I showed them, by what they listened to, they know the sound of the piece. Now they're engaging with the score to play level two. And then we just do it all again for level three. There are more changes for level three. And then, so by the time they're playing this level three piece, they're actually sight reading. They're not understanding mm -hmm. every theoretical element on the page, but they're following patterns and they're noticing changes. And really all good sight readers scan a page before they play. They're looking for differences. They're looking for, oh, they're the easy bits, they're the hard bits. So when they're looking from level two to level three, they're ignoring what they can already play and they're looking for differences. So this, this sets up a sight reading skill and that's my passion, teaching sight reading. So once a student notices a difference, if it's a difference where, as you say, they aren't able to identify crotchet or um, exactly the theoretical vocabulary of that difference, in terms of how they figure out how to play the piece with that difference incorporated, you wouldn't teach that difference by rote. You would encourage them to try to figure out that different part through reading? I think that's that's a very important question. Thank you for asking it. When they spot a difference, I ask them to guess how they think it will sound. And they often will guess correctly. Oh, it's going to be higher. Like something might be suddenly up an octave, like all the notes are higher because the whole thing's gone up an octave. And I teach them, yeah, well, what happens in music often if notes are suddenly higher, it usually means it's gone up to the next set, the next octave, because that is what happens in music. There's often a repetition of a melody and an octave mm -hmm. higher. We don't really need to read it again. We just like use our, we use our theoretical skills. So I ask them to guess and they have a bit of a guess, but again, yes, I am showing that little bit by rote or I'm demonstrating okay. this, this sound. It. So yes, they're not trying to work it out. It might be too difficult to work out, but often the changes are such that the piece is leveled just right, that they probably could work right. it out. Okay. But yes, if they can't, I absolutely will teach that little bit by rote. And then they know. Okay. But it's not like against the rules to just show <laughs> it to them if they can't get it. You don't have to endlessly yeah, no, keep them guessing the until they get it. Okay. Got it. <laughs> um, but if they're happy to guess, I, I think guessing is a wonderful part of a, of a yeah. lesson. Uh, it, it gets them engaged. Like if they're happy to guess, I want them to keep guessing. Uh, anyway, you were at level three before? Yeah, so that's so then that's the piece. They've learned this piece, they're engaging with the score, they've got this cute little piece. So that's, that's level three. They've gotten from rote to reading in three levels and they are playing a piece that would otherwise be completely 
inaccessible to them if they were learning purely from notation. Mm -hmm. And it would not be, a, it's a piece that you would never find in any method book except like the end of book four or something like that when they finally learned about these theoretical elements. But they might have only been learning piano for six months and they can play it. So um, that was my original thing, to, to teach sight reading through rote teaching, to actually bring those two concepts together. And then I got this idea, well, basically, if they've played levels one, two, and three, it's like they've played three variations of one piece. Mm -hmm. So surely they could change it again. They, they would be able to, like, keep varying it. So I got this idea of, okay, well, so now you've played these three levels. Why don't you go home and make up level four? Make up your own level. And they're not scared to do it. They just go, oh, okay, I'll just change this. I'll put this up another octave. We'll put that down another octave. Oh, I'll just, yeah. I'll just put even more notes in. They're not, they're not scared. And suddenly now I'm teaching improvisation or composition. This is so not how I was taught. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and it, so it really works to get students creative. And then once they're getting creative, that's when they really have ownership over that piece. That's when you truly know that they're engaged in the lesson. Yeah, I mean, it's approaching the same musical material from basically all angles. There's the angle of oral and feel, which they get from learning it by rote. There's the angle of notation, which they get from levels two and three by altering the piece. And then there's the creative element. I mean, it's really experiencing a piece from all possible angles, as opposed to only learning it by rote or only learning it by reading or only composing just out of thin air. I mean, it's, it's doing all of the above. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> okay, um, so now I want to talk a little bit about how to teach rote pieces, whether it's a piece of yours or a piece by someone else. Um, I guess if it's a piece of yours, it would be teaching it at the level one stage before any sheet music has been introduced. I guess the most obvious, easy way to teach by rote would just be to do one passage at a time and say, okay, here's the first part, show them. Then the student plays it back. Oh, no, it was good, except this. Okay, here's the next part. <laughs> and it just go through it like that. Um, I don't know what you think about teaching like that, but I'm interested if you have any advice for teachers about how to effectively teach by rote. And um, over the course of your teaching, if you've refined the way you teach by rote or any advice on how to teach in a way that's thoughtful and not just one yeah. unit at a time. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Yes. I, I like to go from an oral perspective first. So I will always play a piece through for a student if they're going to, um, if I'm going to teach it by rote, I won't just start teaching it to them when they've never heard it before. Okay. Because that, I think that's going to be largely unsuccessful. It's too much too soon. I want them to experience the piece orally mm -hmm. first. So I might even send them home a recording. I've got all the, the level one pieces up on a YouTube channel. I'll send them a video to watch and I'll ask them to watch it at least three times. so that And they don't have to play anything. I just want them to listen. Just want them to listen oh, to it. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, so that they've got a sound in their head before I'm showing them how to play it. Uh, if I am introducing it in the lesson, I will get them, I'll play it for them, but I'll be saying, I want you to notice how many times I play these two notes or how many uh -huh. times this rhythm happens. And I might even get them to clap along or play along. Or we'll have, um, I've got lots of props in my studio, boom whackers, which are the, the plastic, you know, it's pitched percussion essentially that you tubes plastic tubes that you bang on the floor uh, or chimes. I'll get them to, I'll say, you got to play along every time I do blah, 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 something like that, mm. so that they're listening and they're really internalizing the piece. And then 
I will show it to them, yeah, two bars at a time. I mean, if, it, okay. if it, it's trying to get, it's trying to get the two hand coordination going. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's something these my pieces are something that really should be taught hands together straight away. We're not going to okay. learn all the right hand then all the left hand. We want to we want to get that coordination going. Uh, and I've also written them so that they are ergonomic between the hands as well. There's nothing difficult coordination wise. It's pretty easy to achieve. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so that, that's how I go about rote teaching that I want them to, to be familiar with the sound either before they come to the lesson, if they're really little, little, or at least for, you know, a minute or two before I start asking them to play it. Very rarely would I say, okay, here we go. Copy me. Uh, okay. That's good advice. <laughs> okay. So they've always been prepped in some way. So that means in a lot of cases, you have to know what rote piece is going to be taught next week. So you have to know the lesson plan a week in advance. So you could know, okay, I'm going to have them listen to the piece this week. And then next week, we're going to start working on it. Unless it's the case you were describing where you do it a few minutes before, and then you have them do some kind of movement or percussive activity while you play it. But I do think it's important to have something for them to do while listening to it. Yes. So now that we've been talking a little bit about you and your work, can you give our listeners a sense uh, before we go of what you're up to now and where everyone listening can go to learn more about you? Okay. So um, I've been doing a lot of webinars and that they're all available on the events page of my site, blitzbooks.com. So um, my, my main thing is music education materials. So I started like 22 years ago, I started self-publishing uh, theory books and sight reading books. So notation has always been my thing. It's pretty funny that um, yeah. now, you know, we're talking, here we are talking about rope teaching, which wasn't part of my world at all mm-hmm. until about five years ago. But now I really believe that it's, it's just so much better. So on my site, blitzbooks.com, there's, there's all these, you know, theory and sight reading materials, but, um, there's also, uh, a lot of, um, webinar replays there about the subjects that I'm really passionate about. So there's one that is called rote repertoire Q and a that people can go and listen to if they need to. There's one called teaching composition through rote repertoire that people can go and listen to. Um, and, uh, it's all there on the site on blitzbooks.com and um that's what i love to do professional development and um just and teach i just love i love teaching teaching is my passion so i don't know about where people can't really find me because i'm in sydney australia (laughs) so but they can find me online that's all that counts. Um, I want to go back to a second. You were saying teaching a composition through, what was the title you just said? Composition through rote learning? Through rote repertoire. So, oh, Is that similar to the level four that you were talking about or is this something completely different? No, that different? is it. Yeah, it basically oh, okay, okay. was the level four concept. So how I'm using my own rote repertoire series as a tool for teaching mm. composition. Because when I ask them to to do a level four, sometimes they'll make just a tiny little change, but I've got all these strategies for getting them to make more changes. So even the most reluctant student, and I would have been a reluctant composer when I was their age, because you, know, you ask kids to play something that's not on the page or make something up, and they're just scared of getting it, quote, wrong. Um, right. You don't understand that there is no wrong. 
So, yeah, I, I play games with them to get them to compose. Yeah. I also think, in my experience teaching composition, they get very easily overwhelmed by all of the choices. So if you give them a template to start with, which is the pre-existing piece, and then they're making variations from that, I think that would be a lot less overwhelming to them than just giving them blank staff paper and saying, go. <laughs> Absolutely. And most of us are like that. We're, if we're told to go and, can you go and make up a story? You, your mind goes blank. I've got to make up a story. Oh, right. well, there's too many choices. Well, yeah, too many choices. But if somebody says to you, okay, please go up and make, please go and make up a story. It's got to contain a train and it's got to contain some sound of uh, something, a sound that the train makes. And it's got to have at least three mm -hmm. people on the train. You go, okay, now I can do this. Now I have a framework. Right. And so, yes, the level three piece is definitely the framework and uh, and as students get further and further away from the level three piece if their composition starts to sound nothing like it that's when we get really excited that's really cool that's when I say right well we definitely we need to change this title it does not sound like that anymore and uh, we need to cross out where it says Samantha Coates on the page because no let's write oh, you yeah now it's you I, yeah this is completely you Mm. Oh, I love that. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Uh, I had mentioned earlier in the interview that when I grew up, I didn't have anything like any of this rote teaching or the, do your own creative spin-offs of pieces. So I wish I had had something like these Blitz books growing up. So thanks for all you're doing for our industry. And thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Ben. It's been a pleasure. And thanks to all of you for tuning in to All Keyed Up. I'll see you next time. <laughs>